Hello and welcome back to the Folk Podcast, episode 93. Today it is just Ian and I because Caleb is currently at the Pennsylvania gathering, uh, celebrating the end of summer, the beginning of the harvest season. Uh, so it's just us today. So uh, I hope you enjoy the sound of both of our voices because you ain't getting that smooth Tennessee whiskey from Caleb. <laughs> um, but I have heard good things about the gathering so far. I've actually received a couple messages from people at them uh, at the gathering and they said they're really enjoying themselves. Uh, so just in case, I mean, hopefully you would understand if you if you've listened to the podcast, that we do have a community called the Fellowship of Northern Traditions, which recently got recognized officially with church status from the IRS. Uh, I do have a video coming out here in a couple of weeks going into more details of what that means uh, and kind of updating you on the community. Uh, but for now, we're really excited and we have a few more gatherings going on the rest of the year, including Canada, which Ian and I were talking about. We'll be doing Texas as well. And then, of course, another, I think, Ohio gathering, perhaps another Kentucky one, but I think it'll just be in Ohio for Yule. Uh, I think the North Carolina gathering is going on. We'll probably have a Yule somewhere in the South. Uh, so lots of things happening right now. Um, so yeah, today I was talking with Ian and we're going to talk about being pagans in summer because this is kind of something that seems like a lot of people are talking about. Uh, but I do want to say something, and I'm sure Ian, you'll have, want to add to this as well, is um, I recently got back from Europe, obviously, and I've been actually having some very weird medical issues and it mostly comes from my diet. So, uh, you know, I think a lot of us can feel like people can get really preachy when it comes to like, you know, what food you eat and how important it is. Uh, but let me tell you from real world experience, be very cautious of what you're putting into your body because I, I, in Europe, I wouldn't even say I was a saint when it came to food. You know, I still went to the McDonald's there and things like that. Uh, and yes, the person I lived with was vegan. So sometimes we would have vegan meals, but also I would, you know, have chicken and things like that with it. Um, but just coming back and after just one week of eating Americanized food again, um, and even just cooking for myself with the food here, um, I had to go to the doctor and it turns out that my like liver is in shock because of the, the fatty food and the saltiness and, and all this stuff. So like my liver is actually not does not like American food after only three months away. So I think that should really tell you that if you come to this country and you're not raised on this food and you start eating it, like it's not great for you. Like, honestly, this, the standardized food in America is killing us. It's insane. Yeah. Like the first thing that I actually kind of thought of, like, while you're saying that just for my own experience is obviously like I've talked about it on the podcast, like fitness is a huge thing. Health has become a very huge thing for me and always, always kind of has, I was definitely not this way a long time. Like, as a teenager or like earlier on in my life, like I was definitely a very skinny individual, um, but that was kind of a passion and whatnot. But like just in the Middle East alone, like on deployments, like subway is different. That's the first thing I think of because there's usually a subway on most hard built military installations overseas. And the subway there is honestly on a higher quality level than just subway you would get here in the middle east like in afghanistan like on a military base a subway a tiny ass like gas station sized subway on you know like bagram airfield is better than like if i was to go down the road here and get subway like you can literally taste it because they don't process like the stuff that they have is not processed the same 
Well, even like, in like, uh, like I went to a very standardized grocery store. I went to the Riva, which is a very large German branded, at least I think it's German branded grocery store. Uh, just like a Kroger here in the United States. It's probably, like, yeah, in that Kroger category is not, you know, maybe, you know, Meyer maybe, but it's definitely not a Walmart. So it's like the step up. But mm-hmm. still, you know, it was pretty standardized. And when I went there, like all their vegetables were seasonal only. So certain, certain times of year, you can't get certain vegetables there and fruits, and that's perfectly normal. Where here in the United States, if you can't get a pineapple, corn, bananas, and all this stuff year round, like something's wrong. And it's because our we're not meant to eat every food every time of the year because that's not how the world actually works. It's not how regionally you, your diet should be. Like you know, we were we evolved on regional diets, not global diets. And so, you know, again, like you said, with Subway, uh, McDonald's is kind of the, I actually really like going to different McDonald's and different countries because there's mm-hmm. always a McDonald's there and they always taste different. And it's crazy to see the quality difference. Like a McDonald's in Germany is honestly very high quality. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't been to one myself, but I've heard the McDonald's in France are downright exquisite because they have like very, very fancy menus because French eat very, very fancy food. And so you can get like really gourmet sandwiches, salads and all this stuff. Um, or even just the simple McCafe. Like McCafes aren't really a thing here in the States. But like since the cafe market in Europe is so fancy and you have to like, you know, offer certain things at cafes there, McDonald's basically has to do the same thing in order to sell coffee. And so they have like apple pie. Uh, they have like an actual like espresso machine, not like a button presser, like an actual espresso machine. Nice. Um, and just like all the food there, like, you know, is so much less salty. Like fuck, I bought peanuts and they're too salty here. <laughs> Yeah, it's well, it's like even uh, I think probably the only McDonald's that I would say that would probably rival France's would be Japan's. I've seen videos like yeah. specifically people will tra- like who travel to Japan. Like obviously it's not their main purpose, but like they make it a point to go to a Japanese McDonald's because it is on like next level as far as the quality, the service, like just the like the food literally looks like how it comes like it appears on the menu and it is the most insane thing ever and i was just like and it, it they said it tastes so much better and so much superior to anything that you would get in the states because it's actually made with like with quality stuff and like service wise it's quality yeah we're, we're lacking in places. I definitely say the quality of McDonald's service is still not great in Germany. <laughs> it's still absolutely <laughs> trash. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, besides that, I mean, the moral of the story here, I just wanted to share with everyone, like as someone who I would say is not a, was not a believer for the longest time in, in health cr- uh, trends and things like that. And, you know, I really, I, I don't want to say I'm a believer in it, but I think there is very much validity to understanding what we put it onto our bodies. Um, you know, some of you probably know I've hinted at it and I don't talk about specifically what it is, but I do have a, a problem, like a chronic problem that is made worse by bad diet. And so one of the ways, and there's no curing it. It's just something I have to deal with the rest of my life. And one of the re- ways you t- take care of it is healthier living. And I'm actually in a support group of people uh, on Facebook uh, talking about it and different treatment methods and things like that. And like, I find that the people who are more unhealthy and have unhealthy living habits are the ones with worse symptoms. Um, Like, even though I might have to deal with this the rest of my life, uh, my symptoms are not bad because I tend to eat fairly healthy nowadays. Uh, And sure enough, as soon as coming back to the United States, it got worse because my diet changed and my diet became crap. Take care of yourselves, damn it.
Right. Yeah. And like, you know, again, like when I went to the doctor, I asked her about like this liver thing. Cause like, it's the only, you know, I was healthy otherwise, besides like my liver enzymes were high. And she was like, well, it's probably because of the, the super fatty diet. And, you know, it's either take care of it and diet and exercise, you know, change your diet, go out and work out and exercise, which I was a couch potato for the last week playing video games with Ian because mm -hmm. I, I was lazy. And, <laughs> so now, you know, going to the gym tomorrow and all this stuff, uh, like that's the simple cure. Like you could fix all of your problems there or you can be someone like my dad who is overweight, uh, doesn't take care of his body, still eats like crap. And now he has permanent harsh heart issues, uh, which could have been solved by losing weight. And he's got sleep apnea and all this stuff that again could be solved if he just lost weight but so now instead he's got to sleep with a ventilator every night or the little sleep apnea machine uh and has to take heart medicine until the day he dies you know all because simply because he didn't take care of himself yeah that's one thing that like just to kind of finish up on this part of it like that's one thing that i learned very quickly uh when i did work at the pharmacy when i first moved back here to minnesota was just how unhealthy the populace is like granted the majority of the people in this area that i'm living are elderly like they are basically my parents to grandparents age like average because a lot of the people that come here they have lake homes that they come here during the summer and then in the winter they you know go off to arizona california wherever like they're all snowboard but there are you know the locals that stay here year round and everything like that that are you know people that are like our age and even younger that, you know, and everywhere in between that just come in. I'm just like, we have so many problems at this age. And like, I look at the people not to like, you know, I mean, you can say it's profiling, whatever. I don't care. It, it, it is what it is, but like, you can clearly tell that somebody doesn't live a healthy lifestyle. I'm like, yes, obviously there's chronic things and blah, blah, blah. But like 90% of it is just people don't caring. And like not taking care of their own body well and again just like you said with the aldi's and the walmart thing a lot of it you know is just the mm -hmm. fact that there's no easy access to healthier foods and that's something that you know in germany i could any place i could eat out i could eat out relatively healthy yeah whereas here you know well and even in the german countryside that's true as well you know i was living in munich um but if you go to the countryside there ain't anything in the countryside you know at most you get a, a like a beer garden and that's it <laughs> yeah well, anyways, like you said, let's, uh, we can wrap up this section, but yeah, moral of the story is just, you know, take care of yourself and just remember that uh, in the pagan context of that, we didn't used to live this way, you know, and it wasn't that long ago that we didn't live this way. Uh, and sure things have changed across the world, but just, just something to keep in mind. Anyways, the topic of today, um, cause kind of inspired a little bit by the conversation Ian, uh, you and I and Blade were having last night. Um, and then I actually end up going for a hike today and recording a video and, and reflecting on summer as I was sweating myself to death in the K Kentucky humidity <laughs> and absolutely hate it. But I was happy I went outside. Uh, is the fact that I feel like in summer, typically the way we experience the gods is different. I feel like it's a lot different than it is in the winter. Is this something that you, you would agree with, Ian? Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, for me, I've noticed that like summer... Um, I don't necessarily do a lot necessarily as far as like private practice stuff, uh, like offerings. Definitely, I feel like I lower in the amount that I do and when I do it and things like that. Unless it's something like super specific that I'm trying to work on, I've noticed that it's a lot different. It's a lot slower for me compared to months of like fall, winter, and into the spring. Yeah, I definitely think there's a couple way, you know, ways that affect this as well. I think the most obvious one is the daylight. 
you know, during the yeah. summer, uh, the, you know, regardless of it being hot, typically you can be outside, you can be out working and you have from 630 in the morning till 930 at night, most of the times, depending on where you're at to work and to do things. And so you're, you're less, uh, you less want to be inside. You want to focus more on your hobbies, on your projects, on your work. And so it's less time to focus on your spirituality. Whereas in the winter, when it's dark at five, you know, <laughs> you have to reflect on other things. You're not going to be out working on your projects between five and 10 or even five and midnight. And so you have a lot more time to focus on things like your religion and your spirituality. So I think that in the practical sense, that's one of the reasons that, you know, we, we feel the gods less or we experience them differently uh, in the summer months. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about it too, I'm sure, you know, the ancient peoples, you know, all across the world, at least where there was a, very, a relatively, you know, regular seasonal change, um, you know, distinct seasonal change, uh, you know, you kind of had to do that, you know, like springtime comes around, that's obviously like plant, start planting things, start sowing those seeds, see what you still have left over from that winter, et cetera, take stock and then, you know, start getting things ready. And then throughout the summer, I mean, you were doing nothing but basically working out into in your fields, on your farms, make, raising animals, making sure those crops that you had planted were doing well. And then obviously come fall time, it's, you know, end of summer, you know, into fall is the harvest season because now you have to make sure that you have enough food and supplies and everything like that to survive said winter. And then obviously usually during, once the crops and everything were harvested, and you know whatever animals that you needed to slaughter were slaughtered to make like jerky smoked meat etc whatever were dealt with all you have now is you know especially in like northern european northern europe and even like here in north america like northern north america like where i'm at in like you know minnesota and into canada and stuff like that the winters they're harsh there ain't nothing to do once it's once it's negative 30 degrees outside you're not obviously you're not doing anything but trying to stay inside and stay warm so obviously i think that has a huge tie into things there as well because like yeah like you were saying like once you're once the winter rolls around you have so much less technically for the most part less to do because you have you know it's either harsher climate so you have less time to do so whether it's daylight or it's just you know like I said, it's negative 30 degrees outside and boiling water freezes when you throw it in the air. That's a real thing, people. It's terrifying. I've seen it once. It got cold enough here in Kentucky. We did it as well. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a yearly thing up here. It's, it's a terrifying thing to live in sometimes. But yeah, so like I think that has a big thing to do with it. I mean, like you said, yeah, during the summer months, like people are just so busy. And I think that's just stemmed um, from thousands of years of most of the people like most of our ancestors were farmers of some kind whether it was crops or you know or or livestock in some manner or you were you know a craftsman that required you know that needed certain materials that were only you were able to go and get during the spring and summer months or like during the spring and then you worked throughout the entire summer so i'm just going to throw this out here because i was just thinking about it it kind of has to do with this a little bit because i've been reflecting on the fact that southern people in the netherlands like the, the Southern Dutch people are redneck as fuck. Uh, 
Uh, so, <laughs> so like really though, like, you know, paganism thrived in rural cultures. It thrived in hunter gatherer societies and in small farming societies. But it seems like once society got bigger, it's when paganism struggles because it's when the cities come around, the trade comes around, more money gets involved, uh, kings get established, you know, lots of power gets start thrown around. That power wants a religion that can control. And religions like Christianity or any of the other Abrahamic faiths are much easier to survive in cities. And so paganism naturally gets flooded out. I mean, again, I've been in now been in the land of the largest Viking settlement of the Viking age. Age. And while it's impressive, it's not that big. And it didn't seem to get to that point where it was like it got to a certain size and then Christianity started moving in and that power struggle started happening. And so the identity of paganism really does live in the country environments. And I, I think, you know, I don't want to say true paganism, but like paganism at its core exists in the countryside. It's very hard, I feel like, to be a pagan in the city because the elements of a city don't adhere to a pagan lifestyle. Because in the in the country, like you said, or, you know, in like Minnesota in the middle of nowhere, you have to live by the cycles. You ain't going out in winter. Mm -hmm. But I know in Duluth, Minnesota, even though it's freezing in the winter you still got to go to work you know you still got to do stuff mm -hmm. and you know that's why they have like the walkways so you don't freeze to death when you're walking around the city in duluth um yeah. and so it's like in the city seasons don't matter anymore you this day you're living in the summer is the same day you're living in the fall and then in the winter whereas in the country it definitely is different um so i think even if you are a pagan living in the city today i think you naturally want to kind of go back to that that seasonal cycle. And so even myself, you know, again, I work in an office most of the time, you know, what Ian has seen is, uh, is where I spend most of my days editing videos and podcasts and writing and things like this. And so the way I see it is I can still live according to the seasonal cycle a little bit. And I think we naturally do it, you know, put doing a lot of work, you know, putting a lot of work in the longer days, even if we work on a computer, and then like slowing down in the winter and things like that, I think makes sense by living more of the seasonal cycle, you connect more to the, what it is to be pagan, and understanding that here in the summer that it's going to be a little different how you connect to the gods than it is going to be in the winter. Yeah, I, I definitely think like that, just that natural seasonal change has an effect. I mean, like I said, uh, realistically, I mean, paganism like at its prime was not really that long ago in the grand scheme of like time. So, you know, and obviously with everything coming really back around, I feel like it's a lot of people are kind of falling back into obviously those seasonal cycles. And from what we know, a lot of the practice, like the major holidays and everything like that and major you know practices were followed a seasonal cycle of some kind, whether it was, you know, lunar, some solar, and then obviously like I said, the straight seasonal, like fall, spring, winter, summer um you know so i feel like it's it's more natural to follow a seasonal cycle than to try to go against it and i think that's where a lot of like some weird like i think that's why like some people get like uh uh like around here at least like that winter like depression because they kind of yeah, fight it seasonal depression the, yeah there we go that's what i was looking for seasonal depression you know because people don't necessarily know what to do because they're going so against you know maybe what what would be considered a more natural like mindset of like doing things during the winter because they are so focused on the other things that they were doing you know during the summer or the spring or even during the fall yeah i mean right before we got on this podcast i was continuing to watch the the newest season of alone they have on netflix uh which we have some really cool news coming up about that so please stay tuned but we may have a very special guest from the show alone 
here in a couple weeks. So make sure you're uh, subscribed or whatever you do on podcasts and just listen to our episodes because here very soon we might have a cool guest. I'm working on it right now. But anyways, um, oh no, my email volume is on. I'm so sorry. Oh no. I'm the worst. Uh, I like how you made sure your phone was good too. I know. Well, I mean, since I'm not using a headset today with you, I I left it on, so I totally forgot. But anyways, um, so like I'm watching Alone, and one of the things I find fascinating about this show, I absolutely love the show Alone because it really boils down to humanity to survival. You know, it's like what is really important at the end of the day when you have winter on the horizon and it's going to kill you if you're not prepared and you know and like the i'm in the the new the newest season you know i'm in the point where it's getting winter and it's like hmm i need food stored up i need to stay warm and i need to stay busy those are the three most important things i mean like obviously water but like you know though you know without those elements really falling together if your shelter's not good enough you're going to freeze to death if you don't have enough yeah. food you'll starve and if you don't have something to entertain yourself during the winter you're going to go crazy and I think yeah. that's one of the things that you start seeing people drop off in that show really fast in the winter. It's not necessarily lack of food. It's not necessarily lack of water. Um, it's the boredom because they're just stuck inside their little hovels, you know, every day because they only get three or four hours of daylight. They go outside, they chop some wood, they get some water and they go inside, you know, that's it. Uh, so yeah, I really love how that boils down life. And I think that really makes you, if that's your winter, if just trying to survive winter is your reality, you're going to love the summer. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I think that's probably why it's such a big thing here. You know, I mean, like I said, like winters, at least in this part of Minnesota, I mean, and even more towards like Duluth and Northern Minnesota, like Bemidji, they're even worse, you know, uh, once you get closer to the Canadian border and, yeah, like there are times where, you know, the roads are so bad or it is so cold, like you're obviously your vehicles won't start even with the block heaters and stuff like that. For those who don't know, it's literally just some copper wiring and an out like a, and a plug that's attached to your radiator to make sure that your uh, coolant doesn't gel up uh, that you plug into the outlet in your garage. But like even then, sometimes it gets so cold that you can't physically go anywhere, whereas it is literally too unsafe to leave your house and so yeah people tend to go stir crazy or like you know like my grandparents that live on their lake cabin year-round there may be like one of i i had to guess eight people that live on that lake year-round other than that it is nobody out there and there will be times where like obviously there their their roads aren't uh, they're on a gravel road i mean jacob you've been out there it's not necessarily like winter time yeah, winter time, that road is, you know, not plowed that frequently. So, like, there will be times where, like, they're out there. All well, I think, you know, like, one of the things I talk about, you know, on the channel, obviously, is, like, Huga. And mm-hmm. you see concepts of Huga are very popular uh, anywhere in the northern world, but not so much so in the southern world, because Huga is birthed out of a culture that is based around cold and winter. And things like that and trying to spin it in a positive way like oh you know in the winter since we're stuck inside you have huga or you know recently i discovered about the scottish term uh Curie. and so you have these things you know yeah i actually bought a whole book about it it's really fascinating uh, and it's basically huga but for scots and it's basically the idea of appreciating the warmer things that when it does get cold appreciate blankets appreciate hot chocolate appreciate your friends and family have board game nights and it's because these are the th- elements that are enjoyable about winter 
And those are the things that, you know, have helped society survive, uh, you know, blankets for warmth, uh, good warm food to keep your belly nourished, uh, your friends and family that helped you stay sane. Now, of course, we're talking about winter now, but, you know, the opposite of that in summer is, you know, the, the things that you should enjoy. And that's one of the reasons I did really like being in Europe, because I feel like those are still very instilled in the society is since there's no air conditioning in Germany, what did you do when it's hot? You went to the rivers, you went to the streams, you went to the lakes, you went to the pool. And because those are what places you survive when it's hot in Germany is you have to go to the lakes, you know. Uh, and so there's a culture around that. You, you know, when we climbed a, a lake uh, right before I left, you know, at the top of the lake, there's a little, you know, restaurant, a little beer garden. So you climb up, you swim in the lake, you go in, you get some ice cream there, you know, you eat some schnitzel, you drink a drink a rattler. And it was fun. And so obviously the cultural identity around these places that have harsh winters or historically have, you know, or harsh summers or whatnot, you obviously see those cultural traditions there. And obviously cultural traditions are not a long throw away from religious traditions as well. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely a, a big thing, you know, like here it, it's, it's like clockwork. Once, once the snow like here melts, and like spring picks up and you start to get into like what is considered the summer months here which is usually about like memorial day like for here in the states obviously like memorial day so like may uh 31st like that is the beginning of summer here and at that point like that weekend the lakes are the lakes the rivers like you said like pools they're open full bore like that is usually when most places are fully open you know that are public and then all the lakes and everything they are packed everybody is out there like everybody has already started setting up everything they've started like opening up you know like bringing their cabins up to up to the speed of like turning the plumbing and electric back on and what whatnot if it's not a poor season like it is yeah it's a whole process and then everybody's out there all the time because yeah that's what you do during the hot summer months to basically not just swelter because it doesn't get hot up here but you know not as you know it's not as humid as like kentucky obviously but <laughs> i'm tired of living in a landlocked place man without any water like i think i've mentioned this on the show before but i'll complain about it again like kentucky all the lakes here are not natural and it's baffling to me like this like literally the only natural lake here like the largest one is like the size of a small pond really and it's called swan lake and it looks like a swamp it's shallow it's murky it's gross it's like out west too so like any of the lakes uh, that i've ever recorded in uh, or we've had a gathering at they're not natural they're created by dams uh because there is because otherwise we would not have good water sources here if they didn't do that um and so that's kind of weird thing about kentucky is like without those un those unnatural lakes it's a very dry place except in the summer when it becomes so humid yeah <laughs> like, i love the, the mountains here but man this place is a swamp in the summer i absolutely hate kentucky summers <laughs> yeah like i mean it, just like thinking back to my childhood i mean that was that's what i did you know as a kid i would i would spend my entire summer just living it up outside with a, without a care in the world you know swimming in the lakes and everything like that and kind of putting that to a pagan perspective like as an adult you know now like or like as a practicing pagan you know it would have been something not on my mind as much you know if i was to look at it like if i was that kid again you know like if i was say a you know my family was like a, a full-blown you know pagan family that's what we did like i could tell you right now as a kid you know, like a, in a pagan household like at that t like at that age and in that area or this area 
then that wouldn't be on my mind at all. I'd be want to go running around in the woods or, well, I mean, if something's great, I guess that wouldn't happen, but like, I'd be running around the woods or I'd want to be swimming in the lake. Like, it just would not be on my mind, you know, at all. And like, you know, the transfers over to being an adult, like I would rather, you know, there's times where I'd rather enjoy the warm weather and be outside or be at the lake or be doing things that are like a craft or something like that. And it just, it's more of a second thought, you know, which isn't a bad thing. It's not saying that like, you know, I'm like, forgetting all about paganism or like my faith or whatever but like you know there are times where you just it's more of a second thought and not quite a priority yeah and i think maybe you know the thing to add here is like it's not you know for the people listening to this if you're feeling disconnected in the summer don't feel bad and that's kind of why we wanted to have this episode to discuss with you is like as two people have been practicing for a while now it's okay i think it's very natural uh to get distracted with your own things your own life and and get focused on the summer activities and that's okay let it be natural don't force it uh but i do want to spend the last section here ian kind of uh, giving advice to people if they are feeling disconnected in the summer because i know personally for me i actually just have trouble connecting because honestly you know when it's hot outside I don't really think about the Nordic deities very much, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. Like, you know, the gods of the North, I, I have trouble feeling when I'm sitting here, like, you know, laying out on a park bench, just sweating profusely, <laughs> uh, you know, drinking gallons of water just so I don't die and eat yeah. alive by the, sp- uh, the spiders, the bugs, the mosquitoes and the snakes, you know, so it's not, the gods aren't really on my mind when that's happening. Uh, so. <laughs> Uh, you know, really, I think maybe the thing to focus on is like you said, like the lake, like going to the lake as a child, um, you know, think about the things that humans do during the summer. Um, and then I think from those things, you can find what deities maybe to kind of honor and venerate. So uh, having said that, can you think of anything, uh, you know, as far as like your childhood or what you do in the summer that could connect you to a deity in the Nordic pantheon? Um, I mean, for, I would say like it's more of a Lanvetir thing for me. Because I, you know, once it's, it's nice weather here, basically spring to summer and whatnot, it's, it's more of a, I can go out and enjoy that nature a lot more in a more, so for the most part, a more comfortable situation or, you know, if we do get mosquitoes up here, which are terrible. Um, but one thing I've noticed, cause there was a trail that I found here where I live now in town, um, that I walked and one thing that I noticed I was just like there's you know there's trash go pick up trash on some of those trails like that's kind of what I do now like you know you know if you're out and about which most of us during the summertime if and you're living in a colder environment you know like here in Minnesota and you only have really two months of solid summer go out and and take care of the land during the summer you know like by cleaning up trash or something like that like find a spot like a trail to frequent and just constantly keep picking stuff up or check out a bunch of different trails and do that and that's kind of something that i've started to do you know so for me it's more of a connecting to the land of tier and less so like the actual gods themselves because i find it a lot more uh i find it a lot easier now that everything is you know full of life and everything like that so i feel like most of my practice revolves around land of tier stuff during the summer months the warmer months and then more towards deity work during the colder months no, that makes a lot, a lot of sense. And like literally today, this is the first time I hiked in Kentucky since I got back. And um, I went to the place I always do. I went to Raven Run and, you know, I filmed so many videos there. I have a very long history with that place now. And I've gotten to know the animals there, you know, or the spirits, uh, you know, all the waterfalls I've been to. I've given offerings at every waterfall. You know, I've meditated near every waterfall. I've 
literally climbed through every stream I can find, explored every hidden trail. And so I have a really big understanding of that place, but I've also followed the game trails and cleaned up trash, like literally followed a family of deer that led me to trash and I cleaned it up. And now without fail, every single time I go back there, I see deer. And it's like, I feel like they've gotten used to me in their own way. Um, and I always sing to them. Now that might sound weird for people that don't like to sing, but I do actually sing to the deer so they get used to me. Uh, so every time I encounter the deer at this place, I sing uh, just the three runes, Fehu, Swilo, and Yera. And so I just sing those runes to them. And it's weird. It's almost like now they recognize it. Um, so every time I, I finally get alone, I'm walking through the fields, I'll just start singing it. And without fail, I'll see the, see the deer that time. Uh, and sure enough, I did it this time. You know, I haven't been there in three months. As I was leaving, uh, like one was beelining to me. It was like it almost like missed seeing me. And it like literally I was like five feet away and just singing to this damn thing. And it's it's so weird, uh, you know, and maybe uh, you're just sitting there like oh, maybe I'm just going a little crazy here. But I feel like since I frequented there so much, I just have a connection. Uh, and every time I I see more amazing creatures there, like I saw so many butterflies there this time. Uh, so many caterpillars just raining from the skies, you know, literally had three butterflies on my back at one point as I was walking around. And it's like it's just again, you could say it's coincidence, but I think it's the fact that I've developed a really intense spiritual relationship with this place. Uh, and just like you said, Ian, I think, you know, finding a place that you want to frequent near you, no matter where it is, and just becoming familiar with it, cleaning up trash, understanding what animals exist there. Like, I know there are six deer that live at this place I go to, and they're all female. And I know that now, and they just had a new baby because I saw it today. Oh, nice. Like with you, like the singing, the first thing that I thought of, I can't remember the name of it. It's going to bother me. Maybe you'll, you'll know. But it, it's like the uh, the Scandinavian uh, like cattle singing where they like, uh, you know, oh, like the... the... Like yeah, 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 yeah. I can't I can't think of the name of it. It's going to bother me until I look it up. I honestly, yeah, but, I can't remember. But yeah, that's what it reminds me of where literally like, you, you know, women would go and sing and the whole like the whole herd of cattle would literally come to you or like you know, no matter how far they were as long as they could hear you which their hearing's better than us you know they'd come so it's honestly that's what i thought of you know yeah but yeah like that's the thing you know even with like the little bit that, you know the few times that i've gone out and just some of the stuff that i've done around like my own personal land and started doing stuff i've noticed a lot more um you know every time i've gone out there i've seen tons of animals and you know for those like I've kind of like posted on my Instagram and stuff and and whatnot, but those who may have not seen it, like there's a oh, yeah, there's a whole family of deer that I want to get familiar with. Like I've seen, I already know like where their game trail, like the game trail is that they follow. I know roughly where they bed down because I've seen it before from the one of the first times I was out there, you know. But now I I've you know seen them a couple of times in person and then on my trail camera, you know. And there's a lot out there. And the same thing, like yeah, there's a there's a baby buck. A little little dude, little button buck just rolled out there and a bear, you know, like so I, I you know now that is knowing that I have that stuff out there and having had experienced some of it, it does make me feel a lot more connected to just that spot of land. Well, I think it makes you feel more safe as well. Like if you understand the animals in your area and understand that there is a finite amount of animals, especially in the day we live in. Like if you see a bear on your land, it's most likely one of the few bear around you. So you know there's one bear at least. And maybe the more you mm -hmm. observe it, you realize, oh, there's a family of bear. So, and they just had cubs. Okay, I need to watch out for the cubs and the sides of the cubs. And then you're more aware of it. And it's just like snakes in Kentucky. Like honestly, I'm petrified of snakes. But mm -hmm. the entire time I've been to this place that I've hiked in, I've seen one snake and I know where they hang out. 
Um, and so for the most part, I know they don't hang out in the streams. I know they don't hang out in the fields. I know they hang out on the rocky cliffs near the river because that's where they're all water snakes. And so they all fish, they, they, they swim in the rivers to catch their food and then they come and dry themselves on the rocks. So I know that is where the snakes are. So for the most part, I walk around carefree um, because I know there's no, none in the areas before the lake and then, or the river. And then I know when I'm around the river to watch out for them. Is where um, if you don't have that knowledge, you're looking for them everywhere. You're spending all of your energy mm-hmm. like, oh, my gosh, where's a snake when there might not be one for two miles. Um, and so I think just having an understanding of your local environment, it, you know, really helps you, too, in the practical sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I, I, yeah, like I said, for, for me, at least, I feel like it's it's easier to connect to the land itself and the animals around there when it's in the summer. Because like I said, like, especially if you're living in a, a frigid hellscape, like, you know, northern Minnesota and, you know, and even further north into Canada and stuff like that, uh, it's, there's not much to, there's not much connecting going on to the land when, you know, when you're at the trench these snowbanks, you know, taller than you and the wind is, you know, literally giving you frostbite within. I wonder if minutes. that's why the, there's the story of Uller taking over the, thr- uh, like Asgard in the winter, you know, it's because winter takes over, you know, mm. the, the symbol, yeah. the God symbol of winter takes over in the winter months and you have to deal with it. It is a, that could be a really good possibility a really good, good uh, theory on that. Cause I mean, in a way, yeah, it would make sense if you kind of start to, uh, you know, associate, that like cycle change and everything with the practice and whatnot yeah i mean it makes sense to me you know once you kind of like think about it a little bit yeah and i, I know i've read you know also about the difference of, like you know hot uh hoth uh, hother whatever and balder switching mm-hmm. uh, you know the summer months being brighter and then the winter months being darker and things like that uh so yeah, yeah i definitely think you know obviously the ancestors recognized these things as they were freezing to death and then sweating to death <laughs> uh, you know you have to adapt differently and then obviously you're going to create stories around it um so one thing i actually wanted to share we've got about 10 more minutes left in here and uh i want to bounce this idea off of you ian because i don't know if i've actually talked about it yet but one thing i was really thinking about because let me tell you these stone circles man they've changed me i've seen and i've touched and i've licked (laughs) these stone circles now and let me tell you let me tell you they've changed me (laughs) Uh, i think about them all the time i think about the feeling and the sensation of laying in that burial mound of of standing in the middle of those stone circles i'm like we can have this again and you know maybe i can't stop me if i've told you this but we can tell the audience as well but i really want to get to the point where we're building these more frequently like obviously the hall is a big project and that it's going to take years to get it done even if we magically got a million dollars delivered to our nonprofit's bank account today which hey if you're out there totally do that that would be dope but um, (laughs) (laughs) tax write-off now you can have a million dollar tax write-off like look at that um but yeah um yeah so if they're the millionaire secretly watching this we're looking for you anyways um something like stone circles really are just manpower are really just finding the stones and moving the stones um or finding the location where something like this already exists and sure enough i was out hiking today and i found an area surrounded by elm um i didn't see any oak trees sadly i was looking for oak trees but there was several large slabs of stone already in a circle naturally and then like basically a natural spot where you could put offerings now obviously there was like overgrowth um so you'd have to clear that out and make the space but i was like it would take almost no effort to transition this space to a ritual space and that's 
the mindset of the past. You know, you had sacred groves that would be used and, and grow over time with, you know, multiple people going there. And so I really just want to start working on this idea of like uh, bringing back sacred groves and, you know, even working with the, the city of Lexington now that I, you know, we have the nonprofit church status. That's one thing we can start doing is I'm really thinking about going to like the, uh, the parks and rec and, you know, through laying down our credentials saying, hey, this is who we are. This is what we believe in. I noticed this spot here. Um, can we discuss possibly, you know, letting us, you know, clean the space, clean from the undergrowth and really using the space for, you know, special reasons and then, you know, leaving it and we'll maintain it obviously so i don't really know how i'm going to go about it yet because it ultimately would be something that doesn't cost the city any money yeah. um and they allow people to build park benches out there uh so why not let us clean up a, a space and, and use it so i don't know i wanted to t throw that at you Ian, and tell the audience to see what you guys thought no i i do i like that because you know i've i've even considered that i mean obviously it would be for my own usually for my own stuff but like i've planned on doing something like that on my own property myself is not quite necessarily a stone circle but like a sacred like i said a sacred grove or a sacred spot you know i've already kind of started to do some working with that um with an area that i like and you know i yeah i 100 percent agree with that like there's there's been times where you know i've been out in in areas and some of the net and like the state parks and stuff around here i'm just like I would love to like just go do something like build like you said build like a little stone circle or a little something you know that I could frequent in some of these areas and just use over and over again you know and bring other people there and stuff like that because I feel like it's it's one it's a good way of kind of bringing back something I feel like that was a lot more commonly done or practice in like just big temples or halls or stuff like that you know I feel like so I mean like you said you how many stone circles and sacred sites did you guys like see or were in Scotland? Oh, I would say in the time we were there, we saw eight different ancient sites. And there was an area in the Kilmartin Glen, which had over, over 200, from what I remember, individual sites in that small area. And so they're absolutely everywhere in Scotland and England and Ireland. Uh, and this is true also of, I've been doing more research in this, this book here, uh, this beautiful book. Oh, you haven't seen it yet, Ian. I haven't seen this book. Um, so I'll be doing a whole video based on this book as well for the audience listening. It's called The Old Stones. Uh, it's got over a thousand different uh, Neolithic stone hinge-like sites across England, Scotland, and Ireland in here. Uh, with And the thing that I love about this is it's not just archaeologists. And so this is a collective of people that run a website that love stone circles. And so it has individual like accounts of people. It, gets, it has their pictures. And so it's really a collective work of people that love these sites. Um, and so I've actually joined the website and made it contributions now as well. Uh, and so this book was made. Uh, so by purchasing this book, you're supporting a very small group of very passionate people. Uh, but it's called The Old Stones, uh, The Megalithic Portal. Uh, really incredible book. Um, like, you know, just to like show Ian here. But like, you know, this, this is like a page of it you know, just talking oh, about nice. these sites. And so if you want to learn more about it, like I literally had a Patreon live stream uh, the other day and I showed this book and I think five people bought it of the 11 in that live stream. <laughs> nice. And then I kid you not, like after the Celtic paganism video came out, Jason Gardner, who we've had on the podcast, started building a stone circle on his property. I kid you not. 
Yeah, because really? I saw him. He had a, posted a thing on Instagram of him hauling a big stone in a, like a forklift. And I was like, oh, you building Stone Circle? And he's like, yeah, I actually am. <laughs> oh, my God. That's what he's doing with that. Okay. I know what the post that you're talking about with the What the? See? Yeah. And, oh, I mean, I tell God. you, like, people are, you know, they see me talking about this book. Uh, that You know, they watch that video. Uh, I, you know, after being there, even with, like, the gym I went to today to sign up to, I started telling the guy what, what I was doing over the summer because he asked. And I was like, yeah, I visited these stone circles. And he's like, whoa, that's really cool. And like, we started talking about it. He's like, no one ever talks about them. I'm like, I don't know why. They're so cool. And so like, I think it's a really cool thing that we could bring to the United States. It's, it's bringing back uh, this tradition of building stone circles, uh, which, you know, to me is a, is a human thing because humans across the world have done this, is build sites and understand that, you know, there's sacred geometry and all these things humans for some reason see giant stones put them in a circle or bury their people in the earth and you know whatever and they realize that it's sacred so i think it's something that collectively as humans we could bring back and i think it'd be really cool for our uh you know our organization to work through i mean i think we could have a few halls in our lifetime maybe but we can have quite a few stone circles if we put our mm -hmm. mind to it and i think those stone circles could be public spaces people could come and use and you know different pagan groups you know or just single practicing pagans can be like oh i have a space now and it's just out there. And so, yeah, it's something I'm really passionate about and something now that I've come back, I really wanna to try to figure out a way to make them more common across the United States, um, at the very least here in Kentucky. Yeah, I mean, that that sounds awesome to me. I feel like if you're in an area too that has a lot of rocky areas or just a lot of natural rocks laying around, it's relatively easy because in that way, you don't have to like outsource anything. I know like for around here like the area that I live in it used to be the bottom of a you know prehistoric lake so there's rocks everywhere once you start digging you know um but yeah I can see that being typical for some people that are in more like super flat plainsies area but I mean still like that'd be awesome let's start seeing just a bunch of like you know our own stone circles and stuff like that being built up and right and then you know using the modern technology we can put a pin on the map on google and get them to publish yep. it and say, hey, stone circle here. It doesn't have to say pagan stone circle or heathen. It can just say stone circle. And then obviously yep. we as community can promote it. I can promote it as a content creator. Like, hey, we've created the sacred space for anyone to use. Um, please respect it, maintain it. If you're there, um, we'll obviously try to do the same. But, you know, we start with one and then we see how it goes. And then we just start trying to get as many as we can. Yeah, like I said, that, that's, that's one thing that I wanted. I, I want to do something similar to that um, on my own property, but like I have you put a Google able. pen marker though. I was thinking about it, maybe because oh, yeah. it is pretty out there. And like I said, I'm not like I've talked to you know a few people, but I don't necessarily plan on living on that property, so to speak. Like I don't plan on uh, you know building a house and living there full time. Um, this would be more of a a getaway spot into nature and out of you know society as a whole. Um, right. So yeah, I, I would I would consider that. Would well, consider and like, what that. a what a great legacy to leave behind too. Like, imagine we start doing this because, far as I know, no one's ever tried to do this. Like, obviously, there's a few monuments scattered across the United States, but yeah. wide scale and definitely nothing for pagans and specifically. Um, but like, just imagine if you know, by the time you know our the first generation of people that started the Fellowship of Northern Traditions, you know, passes, and by the end we've made you know even twenty stone circles across the Eastern United States or even more, which I think is perfectly plausible. And you know, what a legacy! Like you know, then those stones are going to be there hopefully for hundreds of years, as long as you know we don't 
burn down our society. But even then, societies have burned down. Uh, countless those, societies have burned yeah. down since those first stone circles were built, and they're still there. And so this might be a legacy that lasts for thousands of years. You know, for, you never know. And that, I think that's a really cool thought. Yeah, I mean, yeah, look at Rome. That burned. Their roads are still around. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, let me tell you, the people of Kentucky didn't build them roads. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right. Well, anyways, we better start wrapping up this episode. So thank you everyone for joining us. Uh, And if you enjoyed this conversation about the stone circles and like our ideas, uh, the best way you can support us is just go to the Fellowship of Northern Traditions website, which is just northerntraditions.org. Go to our support page. Um, We do have some merch there. We're about to add some more. Uh, So that helps us directly. That goes right into our checking account, allows us to start purchasing things for the nonprofit and help run it. But if you want to help us purchase land for the hall and possibly stone circles in the future, uh, we do have our GoFundMe there as well. So there's lots of ways to help the community and we do a lot of the community events coming up. So hope to see you there. Thank you so much for your support of the Folk Podcast as well. You all are absolutely incredible uh, and everyone wish Caleb a safe drive home for, uh, for that sweet Tennessee whiskey. Anyways, thank you well everyone for joining us and until the home. Let's go. So- oh.